Hey, what is going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. In case you do not know, this is a podcast I try and do at least monthly here on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel, as well as on most major podcasting platforms. If you want an audio-only version of it, simply fire up your favorite podcasting app or platform or what have you, look up Mod Chat, all one word, and hopefully you can listen to it there and take it wherever you want to go. I guess right now, because we're still trying to stay inside and such, it would be more in the house and what have you. But mind you, stay safe and listen or watch Mod Chat however you choose to do so. Anyways, this is a show I like to do where I kind of look at what's been happening in the modding world and discuss some things that I might find interesting and you all might find interesting as well too. It's not necessarily a new show, but... I guess it's talking about new things that are happening. Anyways, let's go ahead and hop into what we're looking at this month because there is a uh, nice little plethora of things that we can look into here, just going across a whole ton of systems and generations. The first one here being a giant milestone, which OPL has ended up reaching, so congratulations to the team over there. But in case you do not know, OPL is Open PlayStation 2 Loader, of course, for the PlayStation 2 most notably, which allows you to, at minimum, play games off of a variety of different platforms, I guess you can say there, uh, whether it be off a USB drive, off your network, off a internal hard drive, it's a great little piece of software. Either way here, it is now finally released as version 1.0.0. As posted by TNA over at PSX Place, I'll just be reading here. After more than a decade, November 2008, of continuous development and a bit more than five years since the last official stable release build, 0.9.3 in December 2015, OPL 1.0.0 has officially been released. The changelog since OPL 0.9.3 around revision 850 to the last release build of OPL 1.0.0 revision 1589 are enormous. And just as a little rundown here, OPL is a 100% open source game and application loader for the PlayStation 2 and PlayStation 3 units. It supports three categories of devices, USB mass storage devices, SMB shares, and the PlayStation 2 HDD unit. Hey, so I got all them there. USB devices and SMB shares support USB Extreme and ISO formats, while PS2 HDD supports HD loader format. It's now the most compatible homebrew loader. So I'm just going to show this to you real quick, right? Because if we click the change log here, I mean, you can go and check out the actual full source and such over at their GitHub page. And even, I mean, it's going to be linked right here. So you'll be able to go ahead and take a look for yourself. But for anybody who is actually watching the visual of this, just look at this, the simplified change log. Uh, I'm not even going to get into all of this here because there is so much to cover on here and we would be here for maybe at least 10 minutes just reading off every single thing. There's a lot of changes that have been made to the core of the application, just even some of the first ones I'll read off here. Cache games list allows the scanning of devices for games to be speed up by caching the existence of games in a file, hard drive, SMB, USB. In the case of the hard drive, the cache is always used unless the user manually refreshes the list or renames or deletes a game. The app's new system now can be stored within their own folder within the app's folder on the game device. 
each app should have its own title.cfg file. The old apps system is still supported. One thing here which a lot of people might not know of is PadMU new function added support for DualShock 3 and DualShock 4 controllers over USB and Bluetooth, so that's pretty neat to see on here. Now there's a lot of GUI fixes and changes on here, so that's just how you actually interface with the program and actually utilize it as an end user. And then there's a whole lot of game fixes and compatibility improvements. And again, I'm just going to touch up on a few here. So for example, fix for Kingdom Hearts 2, fix transitions in the gummy missions from the overworld map to the gummy menu and from the gummy stage back to the gummy menu tested using smb mode and the us version there's some fixes for just right here final escape disaster report uh project zero slash fatal frame samurai warriors 2 the warriors orochi series here's a big one here that people might be interested in fix for gsm on games god of war that's the us version and sega genesis collection again the us version another one that's sticking out to me here uh fix for God of War 2, European and US versions, USB extreme format and SMB. Uh, that's actually notable to me just because I haven't played these directly using this method. However, I did see someone commenting that they were hoping that this would resolve the issue with, I believe, God of War was not able to load properly off of a SMB share, so it looks like that's one of the notable fixes. Either way, there's additional notes here that people can look at. There's also some known issues because this is always, you know, continuously being developed. Really, one thing that's noted is some still problematic games would be Test Drive, LEGO Racers 2, and Splashdown. So for anybody hoping to play those off of OPL, you're probably going to have to wait a while longer. But either way, OPL version 1.0.0, it's out, it's official, it's here. Congratulations for to the team overall for uh, getting to this big milestone here. Now another old system that has been shown some awesome love is the PSP with the release of Baryon Sweeper, which allows you to unbrick 1000, 2000, and 3000 series PSP models. Some people might be asking what is going on here because couldn't you already do that with a Pandora's battery and well kind of. Real quick here, I, I absolutely love the PSP and honestly I don't want to spoil it all too much but <laughs> even like a few days ago I made a video, it's an upcoming video, but I made a video pretty much just it ended up turning into a love note about the Pandora's battery and just how awesome I think it is and even building one, setting it up, using it, all that fun stuff. Uh, but either way, this is, of course, all about the PSP right here. And for anybody who does not know, I mean, back in the day, bricking the PSP was a very realistic possibility and something that was kind of easy to do as well, too. I mean, simply if you're flashing a firmware, even a stock one, pull out the battery, make sure it doesn't have power, and boom, you got a bricked PSP. If you had a soft brick PSP and it was modded, you might have been able to recover it. But if you have a hard bricked one, that meant you could not do anything with it. The thing was toast. The only way you could really fix it was replacing the motherboard and or sending it to Sony to get fixed up. Well, essentially, and this is the original Pandora's battery I had and I made and converted way back in maybe 2008, something like that. 2008, 2000. No, it was definitely 2008. Uh, either way, the Pandora's battery, it was a method that allowed you to take a PSP battery on a PSP 1000 and rewrite the EEPROM on there to kick it into service mode. Now that meant when you plug the battery into the PSP, the PSP would automatically turn on and then it would be looking for, and I'm really boiling this down like very simply, but it would begin looking for some special instructions and files on a magic memory stick. That's at least what the community called it. So if you had a Pandora's battery and paired it with a magic memory stick, 
you could pop it into a fully bricked PSP that was completely toast, done for. You could have wiped the firmware off that thing completely. And I've seen it done, and I've done it before, all right? On accident with other people on purpose for me just to see if I could do it. But either way, what you could do, you put your battery in, you put your magic memory stick, once it reads all the files, it's able to do whatever you want it to, and you could rewrite the PSP's firmware back over to it. Again, a hard bricked system you can completely revive from the dead. This pair was awesome. Now, it works on every single PSP 1000, which is absolutely fantastic. It also works on the PSP 2000, which is great as well too, uh, although it works on most of the PSP 2000 models. You see in later revisions, the, the PSP was updated to the point where it could it wasn't vulnerable to this for lack of better terms exploit so you could put the pandora's battery in there you could put in the magic memory stick and even if the system turned on and it was a full brick if it was one of those later 2000 models that was not compatible with the pandora's battery and magic memory stick it was going to stay a full brick the psp 3000 right here uh this thing just across the board all across the board every single psp 3000 could not take the pandora's battery so that meant if you had a bricked psp 3000 that was it it was done like game over at that point you were back to like the early psp 1000 days where if you wanted to fix this thing you had to get it repaired or you had to repair it yourself by replacing the motherboard this should go without saying but i'm gonna say it here as well too i guess uh you could never use this method to begin with on the psp go or even the psp street because like they you can't put the battery in them. You physically can't. So uh, these systems as well, too, for a while, if you fully brick them or even just soft brick them, they were probably just toast at that point. So now with all that background covered, let's get into Baryon Sweeper. Now, it's been posted here by Zico Xiao. For more than 10 years, PSP 3000 owners have been used to the fact that their device couldn't be restored unbricked at home. Many fear the brick as if it's the worst nightmare that could ever happen when experimenting with your device. Even worse in 2021, now because warranty for all PSPs are over, so bricked later PSP models go either for parts or are doomed to dust in boxes and drawers where they'd never return from. That is, if this thread didn't appear with the release of Baryon Sweeper R1, which I know this has been a little updated at the time I'm recording this right now, it is at revision 6, but right now the original post was for revision 1. Now this is a Jig Kick, which is, this is another nickname for it, the Pandora's Battery. This is a Jig Kick service tool emulator with PSP 3000 TA-900, that's the model, or I guess not model, but the motherboard model there, restorability. After persistent efforts of known PlayStation scene hackers, Zico Xiao, Proxima, and Matthew Hervais, I believe that's how I say his last name, I believe this should be Baryon's, but I'll say Baryon's efforts were continued on the bones of formerly closed PSPX.RU's PSP3000 Pandora hacking thread. Some Syscons of later PSP models were dumped, and battery 0x80 and 0x1 challenge keys were salvaged from them. Lack of those keys and consumer batteries put an end to easily accessible Pandora, but Proxima created a script to generate the challenge answers. You can apply this to PSP only if you have a proper emulator. Here's what the crew wants to share with the world. So this is a video I'm just going to show you all bits of from Real Yoti, and it looks like the tool is in the background, so the battery serial number he put in all Fs, which means if your battery serial number is all Fs, you are able to kick the PSP into factory service mode. So it looks like he has this all rigged up right here. All right, cool. So there is an actual battery. Well, I guess battery plug and such. He hollowed that out, but it's been wired up to the actual interface itself, which is supposed to be a like USB UART setup. There's all the stuff happening in the background. And oh, okay. Whoa. All right, look at that. 
Look at that. Okay. And this is a PSP 3000. All right, so he was able to get this all up and running. He has the Magic Memory Stick in there. And here we go. Yeah, OS Copy 2. Ver I mean, this is just... The regardless of what happens, this is just really big here because this, this does not happen. What we're seeing here, this does not happen on a PSP 3000. You put them in there and nothing happens on screen. And I'm kind of just skipping through this video a little bit, but like Flash Check is happening here. If we go a little bit forward, VSH install, that's happening. So is this thing going to... To get unbricked let's see it's been installed it's been verified what was happening here all right all right at the end this is all okay so that's good so it looks like the device is being powered off he is should be taking out the battery i'd hope so all right he's actually going to plug this into power what's happening what's happening but i'm just going to skip ahead a little bit because i want to see what happens he turned the system on okay look at that PSP's unbricked. That's awesome. And judging by the amount of dust on it, it looks like it's been bricked for a while. So this is really cool to see. Now this does require some soldering. And as you can see from the hardware emulator portion, uh, it does require a USB TTL converter, which is essentially USB and then kind of UART in the end there. And then you have to get it all rigged up to the actual PSP itself. I'm kind of just briefly going over this here uh, because there's a much better image that Yoti actually provided. There's a schematic that's down here for Baron Sweeper hardware. And as you can see, this is his setup. So he has the resistors, how to wire it up and everything. And I mean, this doesn't look all too bad. Uh, unfortunately, I do, you know, I used to have a PSP 3000 that was fully bricked. I bought it fully bricked knowing that I actually didn't know that you could not unbrick it. So it would have been nice to save it, but oh well, oh well, I, I don't have it anymore. But this is really cool that now you have more of a visual on this. Now, just reading real quick, even though we saw it, I'll just read the restore process. So connect your USB TTL converter with one UART wire or one wire UART K-line adapter attached. Unpack the archive from attachments and open Barian Suite. .exe. Make sure that grounds of PSP, UART adapter, and USB TTL are connected to each other, otherwise it won't work. Push start service and connect your PSP. Connection will be logged to COM monitor. To boot into service mode, use the serial number of all Fs. If PSP or COM port are turning off after connecting the battery, there's most likely not enough current. In service mode, wait for big OK ASCII art restore successful. So that is really, and we saw that in the video there, but that's super cool to see. So either way, I mean, I absolutely love the PSP. I've got such a soft spot for it. And if we can see something that can unbrick more PSPs, that'd be awesome. I believe I've seen that there's some work that is trying to get this to work in a similar fashion with the PSP Go as well as the PSP Street. So even if those are bricked, hopefully they can be unbricked and, you know, maybe in the future we'll see. But either way, this is another just incredible development for the PSP scene. And talking about some more stuff here, how about the PSP's older brother, the Vita? Well, this is coming from the Flow, and there's no release yet, at least at the time of recording this, but the Flow ends up saying here on Twitter, I wrote a .so loader for the PS Vita to load Android's Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. I then added a bunch of hooks to replace shaders, etc. What sounded like a crazy idea at first turned out to be not so difficult. There's still a lot to optimize to get it running at a good frame rate, though. And then he said at the end, uh, what Rockstar and Sony don't do, I do. So what does this mean? Well, in short, here's a screenshot. Here's a second screenshot. 
And here's a third screenshot. And if this doesn't make it obvious enough, this is uh, an upcoming Grand Theft Auto San Andreas Android port over to the Vita, like a homebrew one, which would be awesome to see. Like, at this point here, this is cool. We have, I believe at this point, we now have the original trilogy, like the PS2 Xbox trilogy, running on the Vita. Of course, San Andreas is not released yet, but Grand Theft Auto 3 is on there, Vice City got on there, and now we have San Andreas, which is awesome to see. It is interesting, and I, I don't really understand this. Maybe somebody else in the comments could explain this. I don't really know why the Flow chose to do this with the Android port as opposed to the PC port, because I know 3 and Vice City had come from PC, um, but either way, if somebody has any theories or any ideas or even just a full explanation as to why, I'd love to hear that. Because this is just, it's interesting to me that the Android port was picked. I'm just not quite sure why. But this is still awesome to see nonetheless. Now, we're just getting started on the game ports because actually speaking to Grand Theft Auto 3, uh, we're going back to Grand Theft Auto 3 here. Grand Theft Auto 3 got ported to the Wii U. <laughs> The Wii U, of all things. I, I love this. For anyone who does not know, Grand Theft Auto 3 is my all-time favorite game, like, ever, ever. So, I was just absolutely astounded, and I was stuck to my Switch when it got ported to Switch. We saw it got ported to the Vita, and now, at this point, it's getting ported to the Wii U, which is just, this is so great to see here. So, this has been released by Gary Odernixt, I believe that's how you say their name, and this is forked from the RE3 project from GTA modding, which we're seeing all these from. So this is RE3 Wii U. Now, just real quick here, this is a port of Grand Theft Auto 3 to the Wii U. And there's not too many instructions on here because he actually points to a GBA temp thread, which we'll go ahead and visit. Now he says here, RE3 Wii U is a Grand Theft Auto 3 port for the Wii U. This is still work in progress, so expect a few issues and graphical glitches. The game should be fully playable, though. This is a port of RE3, and the original repository can be found here. I usually get around 30 frames per second while playing. The frame rate drops while streaming audio files from the SD card or console. After playing for a few minutes, the frame rate will get more stable. So, hmm, interesting. All right, all right. Now, this does, again, use the PC version of Grand Theft Auto 3, which you can easily buy from Steam. And there's also some notes here saying, due to the slow SD card speeds, installing this game as a channel might perform better. Audio files don't have to be decompressed, but can be, which, from my experience on the Switch version, decompress those audio files. Now, he goes through the actual installation process on here, how you can do this. This is cool. Both the gamepad and the Wii U Pro Controller are supported for input. Both the channel and the homebrew launcher version save to Wii U apps RE3 folder on your SD card. Saves aren't compatible with the PC version due to different uh, Indianness. That's what it is. So... That would, okay, that would explain why I couldn't do cross saves on mine either. And there are a couple, <clears throat> there are a couple known bugs here stating the colors of the pause menu map and the button hints are wrong and some color, some water in the distance isn't correctly rendered. Now, the great thing is this is all open source, which is great to see. And this is from, again, the original RE3 repository. So RE3 is about, it says here, the aim of this project is to reverse Grand Theft Auto 3 for PC by replacing parts of the game one by one. So such that we have a working game at all times. And this is just trying to get it fully reverse engineered so it can be, you know, understood better, but also even ported to other devices as well too, like we're seeing here. I do want to point this out, not only because it's the original repository, but because I'd made a video talking about the RE3 port over on Switch, and I actually gave it a review. And in that video, I'd actually said that because the RE3 Switch port 
was open source, if there's issues that you know how to fix, uh, you could contribute to that project. And I was actually told by the developer on there, uh, behind the switch port, he had actually recommended, hey, you know, I'm actually pulling, I as in him, he's saying like, I'm pulling everything from the RE3, the main repository. So if anything, if people want to contribute, they should be contributing to RE3. That way, anything that's fixed in RE3 will be fixed downstream whenever things are updated with, you know, the Switch port or the Wii U port or what have you. So that's what I would say on here. If anybody's wanting to contribute to this project in any way, uh, go after the RE3 repository and contribute on that one. But either way, that's so cool. And, uh, you know, maybe a, uh, maybe a good reason to dust off my Wii U. I'm going to have to try this out. Another port I wanted to talk about here is RVM, which doesn't sound like a whole bunch, but uh, this is Sonic CD that is ported to Switch. So this is currently incomplete work in progress, as they say right here. And this from user, I believe, Yuzinur. Uh, their full name here is Matthew Milan. So that's... That's just, and it's off their GitHub right here. But either way, uh, here, let's just kind of talk about this. Just reading right off of this here, an attempt to recreate the engine behind the 2011 mobile ports of Sonic CD requires original game data not intended to function. Using mobile data.rsdk from version 2.0 or newer is encouraged. The original mobile versions, PC and console ports, use an older file format that is not compatible with a newer one. RVM will automatically detect this older file format and switch into a compatibility mode to support it, but there are some differences that have not been accounted for yet, such as collision flags and color palettes. Advantages over the PC version here supports data.rsk from the latest mobile versions of the game, with fixes that were never released to other platforms. Okay, that makes sense as to why they picked mobile. Native support for loading raw data files outside of data.rsdk and sharper video output. So this is interesting to me that the mobile version of Sonic CD seems to be the superior one to pull from. Now, I'll just read the background on here too. This project began in 2013 when I learned that most Windows Phone 7 developers did not properly strip and obfuscate their builds. In a matter of hours, I had the Windows Phone 7 code decompiled and running on Mac OS with Monogame. Other games took much longer to perform the same process back then, but the code for Sonic CD was very clean and easy to fix. I wanted to release an unofficial Mac port at that time, but porting the Windows Phone 7 version at that time would bring undeserved attention to the obfuscation problem, which affected a large number of games. That's because even when I properly obfuscated it, the fact that .NET was used would increase the chances of someone else looking into the original Windows Phone 7 release. I decided to translate the entire game in C, since my original engine was written in C, and this would allow the game to be ported to even more platforms. My initial goal was to complete the Mac OS port, then release that along with a Sega Dreamcast port at the time. This plan changed when I found out that in March 2020, someone had posted decompiled Windows Phone 7 versions of both Sonic CD and Sonic 4 Episode 1 to GitHub. Both of those code bases lacked Mac OS ports along with some fixes and improvements that I had to private copies back in 2013, but now that working code was floating around, I felt it would be wise to make this project public since it contains a number of improvements over the base game. A video of the Dreamcast port was first posted on YouTube in July of 2017. At that point, most of the game was already playable, but there were some bugs with gameplay and the special stage rendering was broken. Additionally, there were Dreamcast-specific problems due to hardware constraints that I had not yet accounted for yet. I made the decision to stop working on the Dreamcast port until all of the codebase that could be shared with Dreamcast was fixed.
The last major problem was fixed in April 2020, since sound and video code won't be shared between PC and Dreamcast. It's when I started migrating the newer code base over to Dreamcast. There will be no official release until the to-do list above is completed. Unofficial beta builds can be found in the releases tab. And just so people know, this is the fork of it here. It looks like the original one from, let's see, uh, Safhard. I believe that's how I say it there. This is where the original was coming from, and indeed, that's where all that was noted. So there is one release on here for Mac and Windows 64-bit, but this was uh, near the end of 2020. However, again, the one we're actually looking at here, if I go to releases, this one is Sonic CD 0.7.5 for Switch with FMV, and there's instructions here on how to actually utilize this and set this all up. Well, here is a late Christmas present, or I guess this was on time at the time, it's just late that I'm covering it here, but this is a Christmas present from 0 x 990 over at orbispatches.com, which is a site where you can obtain PlayStation 4 game patches from. And this here is a new release, which is PlayStation 4 Patch Installer. Now, what is Patch Installer? Patch Installer is a native homebrew created with the purpose of giving you the ability to update or downgrade any retail game you own right from your PlayStation 4 system. Now, this does require a jailbroken PS4, however... This only works for original retail games. It does not work for fake signed games or like fake package files. So if you have a game on disc or a game that is completely legitimately from PlayStation Network, you'll be able to download and utilize these patches and upgrade and downgrade that build. However, if let's say you have a game from disk and you dumped it and then you created a fake package file and installed it, that fake package file will not be able to take these retail updates. It does require an active internet connection since you'll need PlayStation servers to actually obtain the updates. The other thing too is that you'll need the Open Orbis Mira project payload. So if you're only running HIN, you're not going to be able to utilize this. You have to use Mira when you are loading up and jailbreaking your PS4. Now, as I'm currently waiting for Mira for 7.02, I have not been able to utilize this myself, but I've seen it in action, and this is absolutely an awesome little tool to have on hand here, and works perfectly in conjunction with the website here, Orbis Patches, as opposed to actually going through and looking for your game and such. I mean, it's really just all going to be on the console itself. For our last game that we're covering here, I, well, kind of, but I guess full game for our last full game that we're covering we're not going to be covering a port this is actually a unreleased prototype that got out magic castle unreleased net yarose prototype now available so this is posted by t1000 over at psx place and it states here just reading off of this in some interesting playstation news a previously unreleased net yarose prototype by the name of magic castle has been made publicly available for mass consumption the Net Yorose was a PlayStation development console released back in 1996-1997, which allowed users to create their own content-slash-games. I remember me and my friends had wished we would be able to get our hands on this expensive console so that we could develop our own adventures. On March 13, 2020, Pirowo tweeted that he had found the source code to Magic Castle on an old PC, and by October 30th, 2020, production on this 22-year-old game had resumed with a group of volunteers. That's cool. They were able to resume that. That's awesome. A day before Christmas Eve on December 23rd, 2020, Pirowo announced the game had finally been released. Following the release of the game on January 2nd, 
the Magic Castle OST and instruction manual were also released. What? This is, <laughs> that's so cool. All right. This release of the game includes the untouched 1998 beta version, as well as the recently finished full game experience as well. There are still a few minor touches the developers are hoping to add in the future, including four-player support and a Japanese translation. Currently, the game is only in Spanish and English. Just a little description here of the game. Uh, Magic Castle is an action RPG where the object of the game is to select one of four classes, knight, wizard, fighter, or archer, each with their own unique traits and abilities, and to make your way through the castle to find and defeat the master, while optionally taking on eight side quests along the way. The game has endless floors and a layout that changes each time you start a new game. That's interesting. Watch the video below to see the game in action. And let's just see what's going on here. There's also here official downloads for uh, the actual download resources and instruction manual and even the soundtrack. So just looking at this here, like, I, I love the 2.5D art style. This is really cool. Like the, I guess, isometric, that's how you would explain it. Either way, this looks like a cool project. This look, or not even just a project. This looks like a really cool game. I think people would have been really interested in this back in the day. It looks like it would have been a fun thing to mess around and play with. This is really cool. So either way, I mean, I've never heard of this game before, Magic Castle, and I'm really happy to see that it resurfaced. Look at all these years later. Over 20 years later, it resurfaced, and it was completed as well too at that. That's just really cool overall. Now, last but certainly not least is some new content for Star Wars Battlefront 2 on the original Xbox. No, not the Xbox One version, the original Xbox. This was brought to my attention by Bad Al in the comments of the last video, and this seems to be a custom map which has been ported over from the PC version of Battlefront 2 over to the Xbox. In the video, there is a link to the Star Wars Battlefront 2 Xbox mod map DLC installers and Xmas in Jingletown Xbox DLC installer is available here where it says let's read more Christmas in Jinglin Town, Star Wars Battlefront 2 add-on Xbox port by Bad Al. Originally released all the way back in December 2007 by Dan Boeing and Company. Grab a friend or three and settle in for some fantastic Xbox split-screen couch co-op or versus Christmas action. Get to Jinglin your friends, but don't slip on any ice. That's... It's just cool to see. So there we go. That is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. You know, this is this has been an interesting one just because there was stuff from all over the place. And that's kind of what I was trying to do with this episode. I kind of just wanted to get a, a big mixing pot of, you know, all the systems that I could in here. So we saw some old stuff. We saw some new stuff. We saw some pretty awesome ports here as well. And I don't know, let me know what your favorite thing was out of all the topics I covered here. And I guess I should also do a keyword. For anyone who doesn't know, when I have the end of the episode here and I'm trying to finish this off, I typically, if I remember, try and pick a keyword. So if you use this keyword in a comment on the YouTube upload of this episode, I will know that you made it to the end. And for this, I actually decided on this before uh, because the brand of, uh, and I swear it's not sponsored, I'm not even going to put like an affiliate link to this directly here, uh, but... Uh, because I use one of these little like Transcend USB 3.0 adapters, how about Transcend uh, for, for, our, for our word? If you use the word Transcend in the comments of the YouTube upload, I will know that you made it to the end of this episode. But also while you're there, let me know what your most interesting or favorite topic was with all these. Anyways, that's about it for this episode of Mod Chat. This is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching, everyone. And until next time which will probably be next month. I don't think we're going to do another episode this month. But uh, either way, until next time.